0: Uh, We're coming down the home stretch of this series On uh, roadkill Lessons we can, uh, learning from roadkill And last week we started a message on The indecisive squirrel 1 Peter 5, 8 says Be sober-minded, be alert Your adversary the devil is prowling around Like a roaring lion looking for anyone He can devour Last week I made the case for uh, Why many Christians can be Compared to indecisive squirrels and what makes us And I'm gonna review a little bit of that uh, today and then get into the rest of the message. Uh, we started off with some squirrel facts. Remember this, it's amazing to me. I mean, we, you see them in our neighborhood all the time. You see a lot of animals uh, that are dead on the roads, um, but when you take in the entire nation, it just amazes me, the statistics, not just because that's a lot of dead animals, but because I still see so many of them out there. 41 million squirrels are killed on the roads each year. I'm like, but not that one, or that one, or that, they're everywhere, there's squirrels all over the place. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot of squirrels. Uh, some squirrel facts that I just want uh, to bring to you, remind you of some of them. Flying squirrels can glide between 150 and 300 feet, and even squirrels that aren't flying squirrels can jump 30 feet, 30 feet, that's a long way to be able to jump. Squirrels can run up to 20 miles an hour, they're very fast. When squirrels are evading a predator, they run in a zigzag pattern to make themselves more difficult to catch, and that's why you see squirrels running back and forth in the road. And when confronted by a car, sometimes squirrels run across the road and get to the other side to safety, but then run back across the road again because they're not sure they're safe. I guess I'm not quite sure why. The squirrel's inability to decide which side of the road is safer or which direction provides the greatest level of safety is their fatal flaw, and that's why this sermon is called uh, the indecisive squirrel. Excuse me. Squirrels are fast enough. They can jump far enough. They can climb well enough. Remember last week I told you that uh, squirrels are one of the leading causes of power outages in America? In fact, they've shut down the NASDAQ stock exchange twice, squirrels have, uh, because they uh, they got in and, and chewed through. They, they actually chew through the power lines. Just craziness to me, crazy. They're fast enough, they can jump far enough, to, and they can climb well enough. There's no need for a squirrel to be in the road, yet 41 million squirrels are run over. They put themselves in situations where Their worst instincts kick in and literally they put their lives in jeopardy. Now, many Christians are like indecisive squirrels, aren't we? Many Christians fall right into that category of indecisive squirrel. Many Christians shrink at the thought of making a big decision in their faith. They shrink at the thought of taking a risk or stepping out on a limb and making a choice that will change their life or take them out of their comfort zone. Gave you some quotes last week, an anonymous quote that said, don't let mixed feelings fool you. Indecision is a decision. You're deciding not to decide. Do, uh, Doe Santamata said indecision steals many years from many people who wind up wishing they just had the courage to leap. And Marcus Tullius Cicero said more is lost by indecision than the wrong decision. Indecision is the thief of opportunity don't let it steal you blind. Then we got into what, what was the big deal about being a decisive? Why is it such a big deal? Why as a Christian? I mean, seriously, can't you get through life without being decisive? Absolutely you can. But what kind of life is it going to be and how effective? Remember, we're talking about Christians. This isn't, this isn't psychology self-help, okay? This isn't life coaching. This is living for Jesus Christ, What's the danger in being an indecisive squirrel Christian? Well, the first one is it paralyzes your witness. If you're indecisive and you can't make a decision on how to live, who to live for, and what choices to make, and whether or not to live your faith, then you're surely not going to be the witness the kingdom of God needs. Secondly, it prevents forward progress in your walk. You're not going to move forward in your walk with Jesus Christ if you can't make a decision it weakens our resolve as a follower of Jesus. When we become indecisive and we live as followers of Jesus indecisively, then quitting and walking away becomes much easier. Excuses begin to make much more sense. And I think the way that manifests itself in our lives practically is when a Christian becomes indecisive and starts falling away, they begin to gravitate towards Christians just like them. And they start to gravitate towards Christians who have every excuse in the book why they aren't in church. They have every excuse. I mean, let's be honest. This Sunday is not the Sunday to use the excuse, I woke up late, right? (laughs) Because you got an extra hour of sleep. That excuse is saved for the fall. Now, this morning, I think it must have been about 6.30. um, East Long Meadow is famous for a horrible power grid. There's two things that East Longmeadow, if, if you live in this town, you know to be true. Our power grid is terrible. I think um, Thomas Edison designed it for us. It's so horrible. And the second one is our internet is pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And every kid in the every kid in the town is on the internet right now. And you get that circle of death that just keeps cycling, cycling. Like, come on, really, really. Um, but where was I going with that anyway we'll move on it keeps us from making necessary decisions and choices that impact our spiritual growth it leaves us wide open to be spiritual roadkill and the worst deci- the worst part of it all is this people die and go to hell because of our indecision people die and go to hell People never hear about Jesus Christ because we don't decide to follow him. I asked the question, why are we indecisive? And I gave you... Four reasons. The first one was this, because we're double-minded. Just like the book of James tells us, we're double-minded. Our priorities are divided because we're, we're torn between what's right and what's convenient. And no, uh, no, we, don't, we need to look no further than today's uh, society, what we're going through right now in America, in the world with this pandemic. It is much more convenient and much easier to make the decision to stay home from church. And those decisions become more and more. Oh, I remember what I was saying with that. Staying home from missing church. In the, in the springtime is the time because you lose that hour. But about 6.30 this morning, our power flashed here in East Long Meadow. And everything was shut off. Now, that would be an excuse if you're alarm clocking. But our power came right back on about three seconds later. So that's finishing up that thought. We're talking about squirrels anyway, right? So we're just going to dart back and forth between <laughs> thoughts. I don't have ADD, but sometimes it sounds like I do. We're torn between what's right and what's convenient. We're torn between our desire to stay at home with a cup of coffee or hot chocolate in our pajamas on the couch and watching YouTube or watching Facebook and and getting our our church time there or doing what we're commanded to do and go and, and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we have two opportunities here at New Life. And as we, you know, if, if the need ever arose, if, if people continue to come back, we kept seeing, seeing growth. Our, our 10 o'clock service, we were, uh, literally, we were almost out of seats at the 10 o'clock service. We had a lot of people here. And uh, the, 10, uh, the 9 o'clock service, we don't have a 10 o'clock service, so we have a 10.30 service. The 10.30 service is growing as well. And we've got a bunch of kids back there. We, we lose people out of the auditorium because the kids now have their, their program. but we're torn between doing right and doing what's convenient. And it's not just church attendance. It's other things we're torn between doing the right thing as a Christian and what's convenient. And we desire popularity and purpose. And you're never going to have both. You may, I should say this. You may have both, but you're not always going to have both. The second reason why we're indecisive is because we're afraid. We're afraid of commitment. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid people are going to talk about us. People are going to say things about us. People are not going to like what we have to say. They're not going to like what we do. Third reason was because we think that tough decisions are lose, lose. And I'm hearing this so much from pastors and in articles written by pastors and emails. Uh, by pastors, they think that every decision they make is lose-lose, and many Christians right now feel that their decisions are lose-lose. Sometimes I'm sure at your work, your decisions are lose-lose. You feel like they are. (sighs) Can I just share this with you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, your decisions are never lose-lose. In fact, if you make a decision based on the word of God and what's best for you as a follower of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, it's a win-win whether anybody likes it or not. We cannot get into the habit of basing our decisions on whether or not people like it. We must base our decisions on whether or not people are going, whether or not Jesus Christ is pleased with what we've done. Tough decisions are tough because they matter. And the fourth reason was very simply because we lack consistency. We lack consistency. We're like, that, the, like uh, the, the waves of the sea that James talks about being double-minded. We're not consistent. We're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that brings us to the second half of the message, we're, which we're going to be talking about today. How can you become a decisive follower of Jesus? How can you become a decisive follower? What goes into it and what do you have to do? What decisions do you have to make? What stands do you have to take? What mentality do you have to adopt to become a decisive follower of Jesus? It's important. Remember, going back to the beginning, all the the things that everything that's on the line and most importantly, um, I, I think they're one in 1A. Your personal walk and your personal success as a follower of Jesus and the fact that other people are not gonna hear about Jesus is gonna die and go to hell. Man, those are two heavy-duty reasons to learn how to be a decisive follower Of Jesus so how can you be a decisive follower Douglas MacArthur probably the greatest uh, one of the greatest generals in the history of American military said a true leader has the confidence to stand alone the courage to make tough decisions and the compassion to listen to the needs of others he does not set out to be a leader he but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent the equality of his actions that's his consistency by being consistent and the integrity of his intents, the desire to do the right thing. So what do we have to do? What are the steps we have to take? What are the things we must incorporate in our lives as followers of Jesus in order to be strong, decisive followers of Jesus? The first one is very simple. We must believe. We must believe God and his word. Listen, we have a. As I look out this morning, we have a wide range of age groups represented here. We have uh, those who are early twenties, and we have those who are twenties and thirties. We have some. I don't know if we have any forties. We've got. We've got that. We've got all the way up into our mid eighties. So we have a wide range. It would be silly to think that everybody in here has the same. Uh, the same view of the world and the same philosophies and the same thoughts and the same likes and the same desires. Uh, the, the younger generation, uh, I, I can remember, I don't know, you remember Melvin, or Melvin and I are pretty much close to the same age, uh, the, a toy. When we were kids, it was the Evil Knievel. Remember that? I remember I, my parents got me one. I think it was for Christmas. I got the Evil Knievel toy. You put batteries in it and it jumped that four-foot ditch, right? That was the pitch on the commercial. Able to jump over that four-foot ditch. I mean, God. nowadays, you know what my nine-year-old, and I was around nine or 10 when I was asking for that thing. You know what my nine-year-olds are asking for right now? A phone. Dad, when can I have a phone? When can I have a phone? No, you can't have a phone. Aaron says, well, maybe we'll get him a flip phone. No, no, we're not getting him a phone. Maybe when they become, maybe when they start to drive, maybe that's when they get a phone. But, oh, I can't believe you're not gonna give your son a phone. Look at all his peers. Well, if I judge, if I parent my sons based on what the peer, their, their peers' parents do, then you know, I'm, I'm a, this is gonna sound terrible, but then I'm a parent like a 32-year-old. I'm almost 58 years old. I've been around the block. I can, I've, seen destru- I've seen the destruction that cell phones do to kids of eight and nine and ten years old, and it'll be a cold day in a very warm place before my nine-year-old has a phone. Okay, just not going to happen. And they've asked that. And they ask it. They ask it quite right, right now. It's very frequently. Like, can we have a phone, Dad? No. <laughs> well, Dad, listen, guys. It's not a question. It's not an option. It's not a discussion. You're not getting a phone. Just that. It's that simple. Okay. And I forget how we got off on that too. See, Ugh, man, don't get old. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to believe God and his word. We've got to be, believe God and his word. Now we remember how we got there. You may have a different, view, a different life view. You may see things differently. You may look at the older generation and say, how in the world did they get through life without taking advantage of the technology of today? How did they ever survive with that kind of thinking? Talk about the the elephant in the room, right? The election, wide range, and, and much of the differences in thoughts and views politically today depends on the generation you're from, truly does. None of that matters when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. You can believe and you can see the world how you want to see it, But there's only one way to see the word of God. And that's as the word of God. And if you're going to be a decisive follower of Jesus Christ, the very first thing you must do is believe God and believe his word. Listen, the easy way out, the coward's way out, the wimp's way out, is to say, well, I believe that, but I don't believe that. I believe this, and I don't believe this. I'm not talking about having questions. I've got questions. I just enrolled. (laughs) I'm cheap, so I enrolled in free uh, f- um, seminary classes online. There's, there's free classes. I won't get a degree for it. I don't need a degree. I don't really care about having a degree. I want to take classes, so I'm taking some more classes online. going to dig deeper. Why? Because there's a lot of questions I still have. A lot of things I still want to know. I still want to learn. I still want to grow, and I still want to understand how... I, seriously, let's go to the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Haggai. Habakkuk. Zephaniah, how does that apply to me today and how can I use that to challenge Christians today to follow Jesus Christ? Well, there's a way if you dig in enough. So I want to continue. So I'm not talking about having questions and wanting to learn about your faith, okay? I'm saying that we must start with believing God and his word. That must be our foundation. That must be the truth we stand on, not our truth, because we've fallen into that trap, we are. <laughs> I, I was reading an article yesterday, and pastors are struggling with dealing with this. There was there was uh, the post, there, there was modernism, and then there was postmodernism, and then there was uh, post Christianity, and then the post truth thought, and now there's the post post truth, like, <laughs> and and see. If, if you're a follower of Jesus that isn't grounded and founded on the word of God, then you're gonna fall for those things. But this is God's word. God is true. And if you're going to live for him and follow him and be all he's called you to be, that has to be your foundation. Believe God and his word. Every step with Jesus starts with faith in him and trust in the Bible. That's why we say it so often. You hear it all the time when we talk about, when I I preach messages on how to be a better Christian, one of the very first things I almost always say is you've got to believe the Bible to be true. Understand, I'll explain it again. If you believe the Bible is mostly true, then the whole thing falls apart. If you believe the Bible is partly true, the whole thing falls apart. Because if that part isn't true for you, but that part is, well, who's to say the part that you think is true for me is not true for, for them? It's You may not like it. You may not understand it. You may not be able to explain it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to start with the fact that the Bible and God are true. Listen I know that that there's listen you can then you can then take the bible and apply it to your life situation I think there are listen I've talked with a lot of people from a lot of different, and I'll I'll bring politics into it here, not taking a political stand, although I do believe that you should go out and vote if you haven't voted already. I'm not gonna ask you if you voted already, but if you, I'm gonna vote on Tuesday, and uh, uh, I won't, oh, I will tell you who I voted for. I told the first service who I'm gonna vote for. I'll tell you now. I believe, you ready for this? I believe that Clayton Kershaw did enough in the world series to earn my vote. He's a lefty on the right team. <laughs> I'm kidding he's not 35 so he can't run for president. But I was just being trying to be funny and it's humorless right now, right? Listen, I believe, I believe with all my heart that you can take the word of God and if you apply the principles of the word of God to your life and your situation, I believe you can find principles from the Bible to be on either side of the election. Now, not every, listen, if you think you've got the perfect candidate, you're a fool because there's no candidate that's a perfect candidate. And if you think you agree with your candidate on everything, you're a fool because they're lying to you to get your vote. But what we need to do is take our principles that that matter to us from the word of God. And one thing I've learned over over this time is I've sat down and had great conversations with people around the spectrum And I found reasons why certain groups of people believe and and vote different ways and hold to different things, and how they can look beyond one thing and see another, where another group won't be able to look beyond that and see this. Listen, I don't think it matters where you line up politically as long as you line up on the Bible, because... The Bible makes us different. God has created us to be different people, and we're called to reach different people. Therefore, the way you apply the Bible to your life, the truth of the Bible to your life, if you do it God's way, will get you in line to reach your community. Listen, if you're going to try to reach this, uh, you guys are what, George and Kate? You're 24, 25? 26. 26, you're 26. If you're going to try to reach 26-year-olds with 1940s mentality is it gonna work i've had i've had the privilege of having a great conversation with george and he's passionate about how he believes and what he thinks and he said well see you believe like me i said no i don't okay i'm a dodgers fan i see everything differently um but but he and and he makes great arguments i've talked with melvin and Melvin makes great arguments. I've talked with my parents. They make great arguments. Why? Because these are people who start from the right spot. And God will use you to reach people that, that are in line with you if you'll start with the foundation of the scripture. The worst thing we can do is say, I can't believe a Christian can, can vote for so-and-so. I can't believe a Christian would believe so-and-so. Well, you know what? They can Good people can disagree on good things. Good people can see something from different angles, and we have to be willing to accept that. There was a time in our country where we did. We don't do that anymore. And I think as Christians, we need to be able to accept everybody from their differences and come together so that we can, in spite of our differences, reach the king reach people for the kingdom of God. And it starts with believing God and his word. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. The one thing we want to think of, think is that as followers of Jesus, man, once I accept Christ as my savior, it's the primrose path of prosperity and wonderfulness. Everything is great. It's ice, I can eat ice cream and pizza at every meal and not gain an ounce. I don't have to worry about health concerns. And all I'm doing, I've, I just built a brand new garage because I'm waiting for God to give me my blessing. Right? God doesn't want your garage to be empty and he doesn't want your wallet to be empty. Right? That's silliness. We think that once we accept Jesus Christ as our savior, everything's gonna be wonderful. But the fact of the matter is, if you go back to the text verse of this entire series, Satan as a roaring lion is wanting to devour you, man, the fight is on now. The fight is on now. If you want to serve Jesus Christ, you want to honor him, the battle is on. Jesus himself said, you, said this to you. He said, don't marvel, don't be surprised if you experience struggles and troubles in this world. The thing you need to do is be courageous. Why? Because I have overcome the world. In the end, We win. How many times have you heard that? In the end, we win. Be courageous. <laughs> yes, it's going to be difficult. One of the most, di- I have never lived through a more difficult time. In the 70s, when we had gas lines, um, some of you don't even remember that. You can look it up on, on the YouTube, right? You can go on the Google and look it up. Um, gas lines. I mean, and, and I remember, remember, remember the stories my, my parents, my dad would read in the paper, People would steal gas remember those those times people would siphon gas out of gas tanks because there were the energy crisis of the 70s gas was expensive gas was being rationed all kinds of stuff and remember mom and dad There was always a story every every couple months of some Unwise individual who went out at night to try to check and see if he had gas in his gas tank and he lit a match So he could see and remember that and people blew up their cars and themselves because, it, yeah, okay. But I've never lived through times as difficult as these. The Bible says that Jesus didn't promise us that we wouldn't have tough times. He said, don't worry. I've overcome the tough times. I've overcome the world. And even though you have to go through those tough times, in the end, there's a great reward. And in the end, there's eternity in heaven. So stand strong and be courageous and don't let those difficulties wear you down. Make a decision, believe God and his word and understand that he has a purpose for everything that goes on. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We understand if we're truly following Christ and if we're truly putting our faith in God and his word, we understand that everything that happens in our life, God can use for our good. Everything in life, God can use for our good and he is using for our good. Some of the things he does is Just they, they just come your way and some of the battles and struggles you face just to make you stronger just to harden you to battle and To make you a stronger more valiant more powerful Christian to learn how to use your armor To learn how to stand in the difficult times even when the difficult times aren't that difficult or when the difficult times are terribly difficult. I think the most, when I see people fall away, it's not the big struggles that kill people. It's not the big struggles, because we look for the big struggles, right? We look for the big attacks. It's the ones that chip away at us every day, every day, every day. The things that chip away at us, the things that beat on us, the things that wear us down, and eventually they wear us down so much that we just walk away. We don't have the strength to stand anymore. Paul told us that everything works together for our good. Philippians 2 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. God is working in you. Even that song we sang, Waymaker, even when I don't see you, you're working. Anyway, even though I don't feel you. Feel you, you're still working. You never stop. You never stop working, right? God is always working. That takes faith. That takes belief in the word of God that it's true and that God's promises are true. Even when you don't feel it, I know every one of you wakes up every morning to the bright sunshine shining in your face with a fresh cup of coffee or whatever it is you use to get your morning started and everything is wonderful and beautiful and your life has no problems, right? That's the way everybody's day is. Nobody has struggles, right? wrong we all have struggles we all have difficulties but the key to being a successful follower of jesus is that we see those difficulties as having a purpose in the plan of god for our life and that he's going to use them to make us better and stronger for him the second thing is this we must adjust our worldview we must adjust our worldview The problem with many Christians and those indecisive squirrel Christians is that we see life and the world through human eyes and not spiritual eyes. This determines a worldview that is not centered on God and the Bible, just like the first point. We see the world through human eyes, not through spiritual eyes. That causes us to be afraid. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I think think that in my own personal opinion, I think the trouble has just begun. I'm just just being honest with you. I think the trouble has just begun. When we have armed militias from both sides of the political spectrum and then armed people that aren't even on the political spectrum but they just, just want to cause mayhem and havoc, I don't think that ends because of an election. I think it begins. So I think there's tough times ahead. and And those... Those struggles and those difficulties and those anxieties that are being displayed in people's from people's from their their inside attitude is because of their worldview, because they see the political climate and the political decisions as the key to victory and the key to a better society. As followers of Christ, we can't get caught in that trap. Listen, I believe it's important to be a good citizen. I believe it's important to be involved in what's going on. I've shared with you before how I, I, uh, I'm involved with, the ed, with my, my son's education system. I'm, I keep tabs on them. They know that I'm here. And if I disagree or if I agree, I'm not, I'm not just one side. I give them applauds and kudos. I think if you, if you, if you show, tell them that they're doing a great job when they're doing a great job, they're more likely to listen to you when you say, hey, listen, I think there's a challenge here that we need to, to, to look at. So I think being a good citizen, paying your taxes, getting involved in those kind of things, even being part of government, I think is great. God calls some people to be part of government. I have no problem with that. The problem for a Christian who wants to walk with Jesus Christ and stand on the word and be effective for the kingdom of God is when that commanding worldview, from the human perspective, becomes your worldview. When you don't see your role in government or you don't see your role as a a citizen, as being a good Christian working for the kingdom of God, trying to affect others and trying to affect uh, the morality, trying to affect decision-making for the kingdom of God and using every opportunity to share your faith. God has gifted and talented us in every area. And if we're going to say that, if we're honestly going to say that God has gifted and talented people for every, every work in this world, then we have to accept the fact that God has gifted and talented some Christians to be Good politicians. I know that sometimes seems like an oxymoron, right? Good politician. And maybe it is. Melvin always tells me he's not a politician. I appreciate that. He's a public servant. But there's listen, we're much better off with people with biblical morality and, and, and wholesome worldviews making decisions than we are with people that have anarchist worldviews. Anyway, let's move on from that. In order to be a decisive follower of Jesus, we must be centered on what we believe is truth and the ultimate plan for humanity. Only then will, be, will we, we be able to make decisions that truly follow God's path and matter for the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 say, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. In the old King James, that phrase is re, uh, uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil, redeeming the time, making the most of your time. Our our mission is to make the most of the time that God has given to us on this earth with the purpose of reaching people with the gospel and sharing Jesus with them, being good citizens, being good workers, being good bosses, being good neighbors, all with the purpose of showing Jesus Christ to a world that needs him. We're not called to be people that stand on a soapbox and hand out tracts and say, the end is near, the end is near. We're called to be people that live the principles of the word of God every day. Why? Because we believe the principles and the truth of the word of God that comes out in the way we live in the way we conduct ourselves, the way we work, the way we interact with other people. And it gives us the credibility with them to share our faith. And by sharing our faith, we win people to the kingdom of God. Second John verse seven and eight say many deceivers have gone out into the world They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and antichrist watch yourselves So that you don't lose what we've worked for But that you may receive a good reward (laughs) You know what that verse is saying Many people will use that verse and say i see see if we don't stay close to Christ We're gonna lose our salvation. That's what John said. That's not exactly. That's not at all what John is saying Because if you go to other passages of scripture like we did last week, it's very obvious. The Bible teaches very clearly without any question that we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. So what is John saying there? John is saying this. He's saying this to to Christians, to children of God. He's saying it to the church. He's saying, church, make sure you walk close to Christ. Make sure you stand firm in what you believe. Make sure you stand strong in the truth of the word of God because tough times are coming. And when those tough times get here, we want to make sure we don't lose one. What have we won? We've won people to the kingdom of God. But what has happened? Let's take our our present situation. 34% of all Christians, of all evangelical Christians who attended church before the pandemic have stopped attending or even watching since then. We have lost what we won. We've lost much of what we won. Why? Because we didn't stand on the word of God because we were afraid for whatever reason, whatever reason, we did not stand. And I believe it goes further back than just the decisions in March. I believe it goes back to the fact that we're worried more about entertaining people and worried more about, uh, about uh, being relevant than we are about being biblical. Whole nother discussion. The third thing you must have is unity. If you're going to be a, a decisive follower of Jesus Christ, you have, must have unity of heart and mind. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, a jealous God will not be content with a divided heart. He must be loved first and best. And David Starry said, a divided heart will lead to a distracted heart. A divided heart will lead to a distracted heart. Anybody have kids with ADD? I've got... I've got three now, my, all three of my sons, go figure, all three of my sons. We went through it with Zach back in, uh, when he was in school in the 90s, and uh, whoo, boy, that was crazy. And uh, Gabriel and Michael, Whoa, oh boy. And now that they're home and homeschool, whew, especially Gabriel, because Gabriel is, is hypervigilant as well. And wow, man, I, I go in quite often and check and say, I'll walk in and they've got, the, lap, they've got the, the, the laptops from the school and we bought them headphones because I don't want to hear you know from both ends of the house. I hear a, a fourth grade science lesson and a fourth grade math lesson because they're in different classes. So they've got headphones and I'll walk in and Gabriel is sitting on the floor. The laptop is on the desk. He's sitting on the floor and he's drawing something and I say, Gabriel, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm listening to my science class. I'm like, what? A, and then I'll walk in later, and he's got one of the cats in the chair with him. And then I'll walk in later, and he's got the little dog in there with him. And then he just comes walking out, and I say, Gabriel, what are you doing? He says, I don't know. <laughs> I, oh, and then we get an email from the teacher. Hey, did Gabriel wander away? No lie, we get te- we get we've gotten several emails this year. Hey, did Gabriel forget that he's got a class? Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did, because he's he's just he's just distracted, and that's you know that's that's why that's why they have paraprofessionals in school to keep kids on on task. Many times that describes us as Christians, doesn't it? We have ADD spirituality. We're here and there and over there and over there and everything. And and when God is trying to sit us down here to teach us this lesson, when he's trying to teach us math, we're over at gym class. When he's trying to teach us science, we're at my favorite, lunch. Right? And we're always doing something else. We're bouncing from thing to thing to thing to thing when what we need to do is be united in our heart and our mind. A united heart and a united mind breeds a united purpose. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your paths straight. The word all is there is used in that verse Twice. All means all together, all unified, all one. If you are all one in your heart and all one in your mind and all one in your purpose and it's all united, then God will be able to direct your path. Why? Because you're, not, you're united in his way, in his purpose. That's what he wants. If you want to be a decisive Christian, you must be united in your heart and in your mind. Psalm 86, 11. David said, man, this, one is, this verse is so cool. It says, teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. When was the last time you prayed for an undivided mind? When was the last time you prayed for an undivided heart? When was the, the last time you, you prayed for an undivided purpose? Hey, listen, I think that's a pretty cool prayer for those of us who are married to pray. God, give me an undivided heart for my wife. Listen, it's no, it's no lie. Did I... Did I Show you this hat. Did I mention this? Melvin and Suzanne weren't here. So did I mention that the Dodgers won the World Series? There's a point to it, other than the fact that I just like to say that. There's no, it's no secret to anybody that knows me that, A, I love baseball. Okay? My faith is first. My family is second. In fact, I have a T-shirt that says, God first. Family second, then the Dodgers. It actually says that on the t-shirt, okay? So God is first in my life, my family is second, and then I love baseball. And I am an old-school, hardcore fan. You don't have a second favorite team, okay? I saw some of these Pink Hat Patriots fans, yes, I'm gonna say it, Pink Hat Patriots fans, Tom Brady goes to, goes to Tampa Bay, and you're flying a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. You should be ashamed of your. You should have your NFL fan card taken away. You should. We have a poor man over here whose team is a dumpster fire. The Cowboys. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to use you as an example, but yes, I did. And Melvin will still defend the Cowboys. Why? Because we are not divided in our loyalty. And baseball, man... There is nobody else. That was a a left-handed way of coming at Melvin. Listen, I don't, you can be a fan of whoever you want. I'm going to be a fan of the Dodgers. Listen, when the Dodgers are out of, when the Dodgers are out of the playoffs, my season's over. Now I'll watch it because I like baseball, but my season's over. I gain nothing if, Anybody else wins? I think it's real sweet when the Red Sox win. I think that's cute. If the Yankees ever win again, I think that'll be that. That's a ta- that's a tragedy right there. That's horrible. That's like the communists taking over the world. But man, for me, there's no second. There's no other. I am a Dodgers fan. If I had the courage to take my shirt off, I'd show you the tattoo that's right over my heart. The LA logo. It's there. Zach and I got that tattoo on his 26, for his 26th birthday, our L.A. logo. If I can be undivided in my loyalty to a baseball team, why can't I be undivided in my loyalty to the kingdom of God? If I can be, unite my heart and my mind, so much so that I needed to tell people, don't worry about the screams and yells coming from our house. The Dodgers are just winning the World Series. Why can I not be united enough as a Christian in my heart and my mind and say, that is my purpose. That is my focus. If you're going to be a a decisive follower of Jesus Christ, you must be united in your heart and mind. You must have an undivided mind. The fourth thing we must do is this. Excuse me. We must accept contentment you must accept contentment in your life you must accept contentment in your life <sighs> so many people chasing the american dream and i'll tell you if you want to know why people want to come to america go to the countries they're from i have had the privilege of being i was in the military and i was able to go to several i went to south korea in south korea it was it was the craziest thing i've ever seen in South Korea, uh, I had a, a top-secret SI security clearance, so I had to be a guard. I had to travel with the, the top-secret documents from Camp Humphreys up to Seoul, up to the, the main base, the, the uh, headquarters of the uh, Second Army in, uh, in, in South Korea. <laughs> and we drove through the countryside. And this was in 1983 in Seoul, South Korea, and they were getting ready for the Olympics. They were building a subway in Seoul, the city of Seoul, I think, has 23 million people. At that time, there were high rise buildings. There were apartment buildings that were 40 and 50 stories. It was unbelievable, man. There was so much cars everywhere, restaurants, all kinds of things. But just five miles outside the city, people were living in grass huts. Farmers were on the highway, now you talk, about, you talk about being a bad driver in Massachusetts, they had six-lane highways that go- went down to two lanes and widened up to four and went back to three, and it was crazy, All, uh, just, just the strangest thing. But when you're driving down the highway doing 65 or 70, here's a farmer with his wagon full of hay with wooden wheels that he's pulling with a tractor on the highway while you're zipping by. It was unbelievable to me to see the difference. So if you want to know why people come to chase the American dream, it's because of where they come from, because of what they have and what they don't have. People still live in mud huts. People still struggle. We don't understand. Talk to to, uh, Craig Alsup, our missionary with MANA. Talk to Craig Alsup about the mission of manna and how children in this world still eat one or two meals a day. And that meal is chicken and rice. And here in America, many of us try to decide what we're going to have for lunch after church before we're even ready to go. We have so many options. You see, we've lost many of us and many of us as Christians have lost the ability to be content and we're always chasing a dream. It's like the, that, what's that kid's Disney movie? George, come on, you gotta know it, right? Rapunzel, is that it, Rapunzel? And uh, they go into the tavern and they sing the song, I've got a dream, I've got a dream, I've got a dream. It's so funny. You'll see it, you'll see it. It's a great, it's a, it's a great scene, uh, right? But... we've we've lost the ability to be content, many of us as Christians. And that contentment, that that lack of ability to be content has caused us to be discontented in our faith. And we're constantly chasing something that we'll never have when we just need to realize that having what God has provided for us needs needs to breed contentment in our lives. That doesn't mean we need to accept mediocrity. What it it does mean is that we must accept that this is what God has for me right now and I will live in what God has for me right now. I will not look up. I will not look away. I will not cast my eyes on other things. I will focus on what God has for me right now and as I grow in him he will grow my vision. As I grow in him he will grow my responsibility. As I grow in him he will grow my prosperity and ministry. Not necessarily my bank account, that's not what we're talking about he'll grow my prosperity in ministry a church that is focused on him is the church that will continue to grow in the prosperity of reaching and growing people in Jesus Christ and if we as Christians will accept contentment that this is where God has me now then we will learn the lessons that he has for us now so that when it's time for him to move us to the next place we will be ready to go we just got the report from our sons, their edu- their, 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 uh, the results of their testing. We were very encouraged. Gabriel and Michael, man, so far behind because of the, the, the foster care system, so far behind. In fact, when, they, when, they, when we sat down with the teachers in kindergarten, they said, what are your goals for your boys this year? And we, we had talked about this. We said, listen, our goals is that our sons understand and learn how to make friends. Kindergarten is not the place I expect them to learn how to read right now. Maybe that's what you want for your child. Maybe your child's ready for that. My sons have been, have been, uh, they've been cut off from the world because of the foster care system. So I want, just want my sons to realize there's other kids out there like them and to get to know and learn how to be social. And once that happened, now I am proud to say, my wife and I are proud to say that our boys are both on grade level right now. There's work to go. There's work, there's there's their, their lower grade level. But man, those two champions have worked their hearts out and they have worked hard and they are on grade level right now. I am so proud of them. You know how they got there? Because we were not pushing them constantly to be something that they weren't. We were saying, let's be content with where they are right now. Let's work with the goals we have right now. Let's be realistic and let's be content with where we are now. And once we get this, we can move on to the next place. What, what you're missing, you're not on grade level as a Christian because you're not content being where God wants you. You want to be on the next level now. You want to be with me and you want to be with me. You want to be up here. You want to be, I, I see so many people that they're, they're not going to church now because they want to be a pastor, because they want to run their own show. Hey, come on, man. God didn't call you to be a pastor. Stop it. Be content where you're at. I want to lead worship. Well, God didn't call you to lead worship. Be content where you're at. If you're content where you're at, man, you will you will provide your valuable service to the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God will come together in unity and power and authority, and we will do great things for God, and people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and we will turn this area around for Jesus Christ, but we've got to learn to be content where we're at. Paul said, having food and clothing, let us be content. I have what God has given to me. Let me be content here and wait until God moves me to the next place. Acts 14, says, strengthen the disciples by encouraging them to continue in their faith by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have for he has himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. He's always gonna be with you. He's there with you in the tough times. He's there with you in the exciting times. He's there with you when it's time to learn the lesson. He's there with you when it's time to move on. Just accept the fact that he is going to be there and be content with the fact that God has a plan for your life and he's going to reveal it if you will be faithful to him. The fifth thing is this, decide. Decide on your path and your purpose. One of, the, one of the most difficult things, and I, I think it's a product of society. I could sit down and talk with um, the younger generation, those of you who are under 40, and I could sit down and I could talk with you, and it's a very, diff- it's a very different dynamic, I'll tell you. It's a very different dynamic talking with young people today my generation was, was different than my parents, but not that much different. I mean, my parents, their generation went through the end of the depression, and then, uh, well, most of the depression, and World War II, and the 50s, and, and it wasn't like Happy Days and Fonzie and all that stuff. But it was very, my generation wasn't that much different. I mean, we had TV, you know, that was, and, and TV wasn't, it wasn't, the TV back then wasn't great shakes, man. It was, it was you know, I was, the, I was the kid that got to hold the rabbit ears. <laughs> uh, Oh, John, a little more over to the right side there. Uh, um, But nowadays, things have changed so much that when life is changing all around you, it's very difficult to be centered and focused because there's a new opportunity literally almost every day, every week, there's a new opportunity to get involved in, in something and technology continues to go. And that's why I'm a huge advocate. This, this is not part of the message. I'm a huge advocate of trade schools and learning a trade because as, as things change, man, you've got to trade. You can do anything. When the lights go out, you need an electrician. When the water stops running, you need a plumber. You need to get groceries from, you need to get the corn from Iowa to Kentucky. You need a truck driver, right? And you can make a good living, a really good living, being in the trades. So there's my commercial for the trades. Thank you very much. But today, it's so difficult, I think, for young people in the young generation to decide on a singular path because there's so many options out there. (laughs) There's so many different options. As followers of Christ, we must decide on our path and our purpose, and it has nothing to do with your occupation, it has nothing to do with your career path, it has everything to do with your walk of faith, am I gonna follow Jesus Christ or am I not, it's that simple. Am I going to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ on my life to be, a, to be a consistent follower of his, or am I not? It's that simple. Am I going to waver? Am I going to, am I going to jump back and forth? Am I going to be hot this week and cold next week? Am I, going to be, am I going to constantly have to confess sin because I can't keep myself out of sin? Am I going to be simply a Sunday Christian and a Monday uh, not Christian? <laughs> you know, whatever. Decide. Decide on your path and your purpose while I pursue the career while I pursue what God has laid in front of me to be (laughs) a policeman to be a teacher to be an executive to be a businessman to be a, a public servant of some kind to be a mother to be a father to be a husband to be a wife as I pursue those human pursuits I will do them as a follower of Jesus Christ looking for God's strength and direction and understanding as I move forward. And I will look for opportunities as I move forward to live my faith and share my faith and be a light in the darkness and be salt in a bitter world. You see, that's what you have to decide on. Not whether or not I'm gonna be a missionary to Africa and wear Bermuda shorts and have a monkey sitting on my head. That's not what we're talking about. We're simply talking about, am I going to live for Jesus Christ or am I not? And I'm telling you folks, you can live for Jesus Christ in any situation that God places you in. You can even be a professor at a public university and live your faith. In fact, I wish we had a few more. But it all comes down to the decision that you will make. Will I follow Jesus Christ or will I not? Will the word of God be the guiding light for my life and my choices, or will it not? As a mother, as a father, will I raise my children to know the word of God, or are I gonna be one of those foolish people that says, I'll let them decide? Try that for a two-year-old for breakfast. What do you want? What do you want? This morning, we made the mistake. We made the mistake. We woke up after our son's. Breakfast with Skittles, Reese's, piece, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and M&M's. Jolly Ranchers. And Jolly Ranchers. Wash it down with root beer. <laughs> Why? Because they went trick-or-treating last night at a house full of candy. Leave a decision up to a child, and they're going to make the decision that they want to make. You know, they're going to make that kind of a decision. Decide on the path and the purpose of your life, Christian. Make a decision. You've got to decide. It doesn't mean you have to have everything figured out. It doesn't even mean you know what God is calling you to do. Listen, we are, we're, gotta be honest with you, we're doing things on the fly here at New Life right now. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, you may, it may look like we got it together because our team back there is running everything and you're watching this on Facebook and we got a real nice background and, A semi-human looking individual preaching to you but I'm telling you what man during this pandemic during the coronavirus we're doing this all on the fly we're figuring things out as we go I'm working right now on a plan for our uh, Monday through Friday evening online devotion Bible study things we're trying, to, we're trying to get that lined up and because this is the way we 're going to be for quite a while now it 's pretty clear we're going to be in this for even longer we need to make sure that we 've got things uniform and decently in an order as the Bible tells us to do so that we provide for those for our people so that they can grow in their faith and connect and reach out to other people we can't do things the way we used to but we can still do things God 's way do do things God 's way because we're deciding to follow him, not follow ourselves. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to serve? Because you can't stay where you are and still stay faith and still fulfill God's plan. We see this now more than ever. You cannot, we, we cannot do things the way we used to. I think the reason why so much of the church was paralyzed at the beginning of the year was because they expected it to go back to normal in three weeks, Right? How many of us did that? I'm just like, well, oh, you know, they said, what was it? 14 days or 15 days to flatten the curve. Is that what it was? And, and then everything's going back to normal. Just give us two weeks. Give us two weeks and everything will be wonderful. And now it's, you know, seven months into it, eight months into it and everything's not wonderful. So we can't do the things the way we used to. And that's Okay. Because God is a God that meets every need and meets every situation and wants to prepare us and move us forward in every situation. We just need to decide that we're going to follow his path and his purpose, and we must always be moving forward. Joshua 24, 15 tells us this, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today, which will you worship? The gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River? or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Joshua said, listen, you just need to make a decision. And it's kind of like what Jesus said in the book of Revelations. Either be hot or cold. Be hot, be cold. If you're hot, I can use you. If you're cold, I can warm you up. But you're lukewarm, and the problem with being lukewarm is you don't think you have a problem. You think you're just okay. Joshua challenged the children of Israel. Listen, God has fulfilled his promise to us. He's given us this promised land. What are you going to do with it now? Are you going to worship the old gods? Are you going to join in with these people who we just overthrew, who the God of heaven just overthrew and gave us their land? Or are you going to serve God? But make a decision. And my challenge to you this morning is this. Make a decision. Christian, there's no need to be indecisive. There's no need to be a squirrel that runs back and forth, can't, get, can't make a decision and ends up getting flattened in the road. Be decisive for the kingdom of God. The choice is up to you. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in church today. Lord, the privilege of having a place to come and worship and having people that have a passion and a desire to come out and and hear your word and sing and pray and fellowship together. God, I can honestly say it truly has been good to be in your house today. Father, we are in some very interesting, unique times. Lord, the one thing that we all have to remember is that it doesn't matter what the situation in the world is, you are still God and you still have a plan and you still have a plan for our lives. Lord, would you give us the courage not to be indecisive. Give us the courage to be decisive Christians, to follow you. No matter what the challenge, no matter what the situation, God, would you give us the courage to follow you. God, I pray for each and every individual that has been here this morning, those who have watched on Facebook and YouTube. God, I pray that, the power of your word will reach each and every one of us and challenge us to our core to be better followers of yours. Bless us as we go. May we go with your power and your passion. May we pursue every open door for your kingdom and your purpose. For it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen.